with Kathy Rue. Kathy uses her years of experience and dedication to guide you through the world of estate planning, probate, wills, and more. Now here's your host, Kathy Rue. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to It's the Law with Kathy Rue. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm here in the studio with Kevin Ebling. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's a good Monday. Happy Halloween to everyone. I should have wore my witch's hat, but I forgot that in my car. So I may, I may run out during the break and grab it so I can wear it today since it's Halloween. I actually completely forgot it was Halloween until just now <laughs> when you said that. It's, it's kind of, even though there's been a lot of promotion for Halloween, it's it has snuck up on me. I was just talking to Melissa and, and saying that since my kids are older, I don't get into Halloween as much as I used to. Yeah. When they were younger, I used to sew costumes and buy tons of candy, and it was a real production, but not so much now. See, for me, I'm still super into it. Maybe it's like a part of me that I could never grow out of. In the month of October, I try to watch a horror film every single day. So. Oh, my goodness. And if I miss one day, I double up the next time. Now, do you make- watch any of the House of Horror movies? Those are classics. Um, no, I don't really go into too many of the old ones. Okay. Any of the old classics. Not that I don't like them. Those are but, my favorite. Uh, <laughs> like which ones? Well, the Frankenstein, Frankenstein ones, Bella Lugosi. Dracula. Um, yeah, all of those. All, all of those are really uh, near and dear to my Creature heart. Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yes. Any, house, uh, any Hammer House of Horror uh, movies are just awesome to watch. I mean, that's just such great nostalgia with some popcorn and, you know. Definitely. Dark lights and... Ooh, I mean, stuff. I think like Freaks, the movie from 1932, is still scary. <laughs> like, I mean, I like, I definitely like the old ones. Or uh, Nosferatu. Yeah. Oh, yes. Who could forget that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We Those had are... to watch that in film school, and I was like, this is going to be such a snoozer, and it no, turned out to be not. really cool. It's, yeah, it is really. There's so much there. If if you're studying it in film school, there's yes. just so much meat there to get into and, and to get out of that movie. So, I, and that's one of the reasons I like those movies. They're a bit campy, but they're they're so much fun and they're so enjoyable. And there's a lot, yeah, that you can learn yes. if you're looking into going into the horror genre. <laughs> yes, which is one of my favorite genres. So, so. um, but it, it's true. I don't, you know, don't get into it as much as far as Halloween itself. I mean. Like, my girlfriend always wants to dress up and go out somewhere, and I'm like, I'd rather just go to my parents and, like, hand out candy to trick-or-treaters. Like, that's fun to me, like, just because it reminds me of being a kid, seeing, you know, the, the trick-or-treaters going around. Yeah. So, but I, I don't know. Do you have any plans for tonight? I don't. I kind of like to do both. I kind of, you know, I want to be there for when the kids come and hand out candy, so that's fun. I like to walk through the neighborhood and trick-or-treat with my kids. I get a, a big kick out of that. I did that last year, um, made up my face. I had sort of a skeleton face on and, you know, with some white paint and black paint, and it looked really cool. Yeah, and, um that was fun, and, and I like to dress up too, um, but nowhere to go tonight, maybe next year. I usually do too. I mean, I, I do like to dress up and come up with like some kind of clever costume, but I can I put it off entirely this year, just because I didn't have a chance to. Um, but yeah, it's fun seeing it is fun. who everyone's dressed up as, and I really get into the actual Halloween decorations. That part I always thought was fun. Yeah, because we yeah. have all kinds of tombstones and skeletons and stuff, and we don't ever put ours out until Halloween. Yeah, uh, same as with our pumpkin carving. Yeah. I don't do too much in terms of that and and you know um I did a little bit of that at one time but I've sort of moved away from from that but um I do like the costume and I I think it's fun you know uh from just being a Christian I'm you know not supposed to be celebrating that but I do think the costuming is fun I enjoy it so I'm a Christian as well and I did not know that that was frowned upon <laughs> like is. I love Halloween. <laughs> You're not supposed to celebrate that. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> 
It is fun. That's why I still celebrate. You, you know, there are always people in the neighborhood who wouldn't celebrate Halloween, and everybody always kind of frowned on it. They're like, "Oh, well, they're they're not any fun. They're a buzzkill." <laughs> yeah, I enjoy it. I'm I'm okay with it. It it's fun, you know. All right. Well, I mean. Halloween aside, I guess we can talk some actually, you know, <laughs> stage planning stuff today. This is It's the Law. This is not Happy Halloween yeah. Show. <laughs> Halloween special. <laughs> okay, so today we are talking about estate planning. And in particular, in terms of estate planning, we're talking about our beloved pets um, and how we can prepare and plan for our pets when we are no longer here to take care of them. Everyone um, ha- who has a pet uh, it has is very near and dear and close to that pet and loves them as a family member and wants to make sure that they're well taken care of. So how do you plan for your pet when you're no longer here to care for your pet? Do you think just like in certain situations, um, even the most thorough people when it comes to planning um, in terms of their estate and all that kind of stuff, they completely forget about the pets and what will happen. I think they do. I think they do oftentimes. I've had clients come to my office and they will inform me that they have pets, you know, sometimes several pets, cats, dogs, birds, um, other types of furry animals. <laughs> you ever seen any like reptiles? Like somebody comes to plan for the afterlife of their snake? Or no. Or <laughs> Not quite that exotic, uh, more traditional type pets. Um, And so they'll come to my office and they'll say that they have pets, but they don't really make any provisions for their pets and their will. And I always advise them of that option. And sometimes they will ask for information on it and sometimes they will plan for it. Other times they'll say things like, well, I'll just leave my pet to my brother or I'll just leave my pet to my sister or, you know, the dogs or the cats can go to, you know, a relative right. I would or think that's you know, the a most child common. or something. It is. It is the most common. But if you have the funds and if you have the desire, you can actually plan for your pet's care, and you can go into a lot of uh, detailed planning by setting up a pet trust in your will. So, uh, I mean, how do you even start setting up a a pet trust in your will? And do most people have this who have pets? I think most people who have pets don't have this. Is it something you recommend and then they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that? Yes, it's something that I talk to them about um, when they come to me for estate planning, that it's an option and it's something that we generally discuss. And sometimes they will choose that to make it part of their will and sometimes they won't. But you basically set it up by putting language in the will that actually creates the trust. And that authority for setting up the pet trust is uh, created by the Texas legislature In 2005, they enacted legislation that authorized trust created for the benefit of an animal. And that statute can be found in the Texas Property Code. Is the trust your your only option when it comes to taking care of your pets? Well, it's not the only option. You could, of course, always hand the pet off to <laughs> right to a family member. I mean, you can ask, you know, in, as you or um, gently passing, you know, you can ask a family member, please take care of my pet, um, and you can rely on that person's relationship with you to carry out your wishes. That's one option, of course. Uh, the other option is to put it in writing, make it a part of your will, and uh, make sure that there are funds available to care for the health and well-being of the pet. 
Well, we just got a, uh, a message on Facebook. A listener wants to ask, oh, by the way, we are live on Facebook, and you can always email us at itsthelawwithkathyrue at gmail.com, and Kathy will get to your question. Uh, this person wants to know, can the uh, caregiver be the same person as the trustee? Generally, you want to make them different persons. Uh, the caretaker is the person who takes care of the trust. The trustee is the person who supervises the caretaker. So you want to make sure that they're different persons for accountability purposes. For example, if you make the caretaker and the trustee the same person, there's no oversight. There's no one making sure that the caretaker is doing what they're supposed to be, that the money that is being earmarked for the pet is actually being used to care for the pet. If you make them two different people, then you have a check and balance in place and you have some accountability where the trustee can oversee the caretaker, make sure the caretaker is using the money for health purposes, feeding the pet, making sure the pet's being properly socialized, making sure the pet is receiving the proper medical care, shots, whatever other treatments the pet may need. So it's best to make them two separate people. Now, um, the, uh, our listener who sent that in wants to be known as Rocco. He picked as his alias. Uh, so thank you, Rocco, for the question. And yeah, reach out Rocco's anytime. Rocco's modern life. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. <laughs> Marco, right, so, if you have a pet, give me a call. We can talk more about this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll give him my number. You can you know, text me later. Um, so we only have about a couple minutes left before we have to take a break. So real quick, I want to know if we could squeeze in one last question. How do I make sure that the trust lasts long enough to care for the pet? Because, I mean, it, it varies. If your pet's very old, does that make a difference? It does. It does. Um, the, and that's a, a very good question, actually. Um, what, the trust that you're setting up in your estate planning can only provide for animals that are alive or that were alive during the settler's lifetime. So in other words, the, the, the settler, the person whose estate it is, had to have the pet alive during their lifetime. And the point of that is you can't have pets that were born from the original pet after the settler's death right. and have them be a part of the trust. Um, so the trust cannot be used to take care of the pet's offspring that are born after the settler dies. And, of course, the settler here would be the person who's creating the will, who's setting up the trust. They're considered the settler. That's just a legal terminology for them. So, Kevin, if you came to me and you wanted to set up a pet trust, you are the settler, and it has to be for a pet that you own while you're still alive. And then the trust will terminate when the last of the animal beneficiary dies. So, for example, let's say you have two dogs and a cat, and you want to set up your trust for them, uh, cats usually live a very long life. So let's say the cat lives the longest. The trust will go on until the cat, once the first dog dies, the trust will continue. The second dog dies, the trust will continue. Once the cat passes away, then the trust will end. Uh, it's funny that you picked me as an example, only because 
I've never owned a pet before in my life. <laughs> not as a kid, not as an adult. So I'm, I'm a terrible. I, I've had two fish, and that was it. Well, we're gonna have to get you a pet. If I can get a trust for for one of my fish, then uh, I'll I'll be amazed. You need a dog's best friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, if you want to take care of animals that are born after your death, after the settler's death, you would have to consider an alternative to the statutory pet trust. So, well, it's about that time. Yeah, let's Man, go to break. Take a break. Yes, and I'll go grab my witch's hat <laughs> so I can get into the Halloween spirit for real. Yeah, Thanks, I'm, Rocco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go grab a couple of horror movies to throw up on the TV after the show. Sounds good to me. Providing you her will and testament for good radio. More It's the Law with Kathy Rue coming up next. says green can't be clean. Here's a tip that many professional home cleaning services already know. You can power through the grime in less time with our 100% naturally safe speed cleaning products. Don't waste your time with the products that don't work. Our non-toxic cleaners are safer on pets and people, yet tough on dirt. If you want to clean your home in half the time, visit speedcleaning.com and sign up for our speed cleaning tip of the week. Hi, I'm Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group, a family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. Numerous times they've already made an agreement and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end and they may not always be the best in your area or for your situation being a boutique we are independent we have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you it's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents you can reach us at 214-750-7557 and you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com my name is Ernesto Miranda with Walker Miranda Design Studio, Principal. We are a commercial and high-end residential interior design firm with architectural capabilities. We do anything from restaurants, multifamily, commercial office, and retail. A lot of design firms tend to have a signature look. We don't. We really take our clients' brands seriously. It's really important for us for our clients to have that signature look. That's what we create for them. For more information and a free consultation, visit us at walkermiranda.com. You can also reach us at 214-680-7202. Hi, my name is Gil Bonifaz, and I'm the owner-operator of Cafe Herrera at the Omni in downtown Dallas. As a fourth-generation restaurateur, we strive to bring you a new generation of Tex-Mex and to continue on the legacy that was started by my great-grandmother over 45 years ago. At Cafe Herrera, we're taking a modern approach towards Tex-Mex. From our sizzling fajita bar to our tequila craft cocktails, we strive to provide the best experience possible for all our diners and continue the legacy that was started over 45 years ago. Whether it's lunch, dinner, drinks, or catering, we'd love to see you out. Find us at CafeHerrera.com. Hi, I'm Graham, inventor of the Sneak Guard. Our homes are full of adventurous snoopers. They go through everything until they find something they like. Children, roommates, babysitters, teens, pets, you name it. Snoopers are everywhere. Sneak Guard is the world's first purpose-built locking vacuum storage container designed to protect snoopers from the unintended ingestion of medications and more. Safe, responsible storage. Available now at sneakguard.com. S-N-E-A-K-G-U-A-R-D.com. 
Hi, I'm Jasmine Dodson, and I am an attorney with Dodson Legal Group. I manage the family law, civil litigation, and estate planning divisions of the firm. Five years ago, I ended up joining the practice because I really wanted to get involved with people and help them make the decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. We want to make our clients feel comfortable. We want to make them feel welcome, and we want them to understand that they can trust us with their case. Find us on the web at www.dodsonlegal.com. Give us a call at 469-317-3330. It's never too early to start planning. Kathy can help you. You're tuned in to It's the Law. Hi, welcome back, everyone. Um, I had the great opportunity <laughs> to go out to my car and get my witch's hat. Yeah, so no, ev- everyone on Facebook Live can see she wasn't kidding. She actually wasn't had kidding. a witch's hat in her car. I did, and I went out to my car, and I got it. And I've got it on my head right now, so if you're tuned in, uh, you can go to Facebook Live, and you can see me uh, in full witch regalia. <laughs> yeah, and I have a Jason hockey mask in my car, but you know, I, it, you wouldn't be able to hear me as well if I had it over my face, so I had to leave it out there. So I'm ready to complete the rest of my broadcasting for It's the Law with Kathy Rue in my witch's hat. Happy Halloween, everyone. Um, please stay safe this Halloween. When you're out trick-or-treating, um, be careful, be safe, be smart, and have fun. And I just want to say thank you. We had a comment on our Facebook Live during the break. Uh, Deborah Cousin Hayes says, Good afternoon. Important topic that many don't consider. Thank you for bringing it up. And thank you for your comment. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I try to bring up topics. I I try to talk about your traditional estate planning issues, but I also try to blend in a few topics that people aren't aware of just to give you information um, and let you know more of what your options are in terms of planning for your estate. Because once again, people have pets that have been part of their families for many, many years and are considered a beloved family member. And so it's important to take care of those family members as well. I've never had that experience, but I'm told it's very nice. <laughs> it is a very nice experience. Um, growing up, we always had pets, uh, mostly dogs. And um, even, you know, as an adult, I've had pets, um, mostly dogs. But other furry animals like hamsters, um, cats. <laughs> Have you included any of these animals in a, uh, in a trust? No, no, because they never uh, were around long enough to uh, outlive me. Gotcha. (laughs) I always managed to uh, last longer than they did. That's a good thing. (laughs) But we've had turtles, fishes, um, just, you know, a variety of different pets for the kids. You could not be more opposite than me. Yeah, <laughs> I've had no, I've had no pets, and you've had every kind of pet that I can think of. Just about not not reptiles, but uh, other than the turtle, I guess. But other than that, yeah, just mostly furry pets. Well, yeah. Speaking of reptiles and horror films, what what's your favorite horror film? And just out of curiosity, since it um, is Halloween. If I had to guess, it's probably the Dracula movies with Bela Lugosi yep. are probably my favorite. Um, and then that whole genre of Dracula movies tend to be my favorite. Like, I actually watched and enjoyed Twilight, <laughs> that whole series. Um, and I used to watch um, the HBO series uh, with the vampires. True Blood? True Blood. Um, I, I, I'm guilty on that one as well. I, in the beginning, it was really good, and I enjoyed Snooky uh, Stackhouse, and, you know, the series was really, really good. But then towards the middle and the end, I had, you know, it got a bit too much for me. It was a bit too... 
I it did know. get pretty extreme. Yeah, kind of extreme, maybe a bit campy. It just I yep. lost interest in it. But the the very beginning, like pr- probably the first and second seasons, I thought were really good. I really enjoyed those seasons, Me too, um, especially, especially with the, the werewolf one. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and those that's another genre that would probably be probably be my second favorite is um, the werewolf movies with Lon Chaney. Um, he, I thought he did such an outstanding job as an actor for the werewolf. He was such a, a torture. Oh yeah, soul. I mean yeah, but he's <laughs> an, yeah a legend. Yeah, and um. <clears throat> I really I enjoyed that. So the probably the vampire movies first, and then the werewolf movies second. I can't agree with you more on that because I'm a vampire genre fan myself, <laughs> and uh, you know True Blood really did just start to get awful towards the end. But it started off so good, and then uh, yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. The final season, uh, especially I don't know if you ever saw the season finale, it was just no. I did really bad. I, I never. I stopped watching it after probably the second season because I just lost interest in it. But those first two seasons were, I thought, were really awesome. I think so too. Um, well, I like you know. Speaking of horror and TV, I was always a huge Dexter fan. But uh, after about after the fifth season, and I watched the sixth one, I, it just wasn't any good, and I had to bail on it. I, I still haven't seen it all the way through. Yeah, I, d- I didn't. I never watched Dexter, but I did watch the sci-fi movies. Um, I can't think of the two actors that played on those sci-fi movies. Um, it was Jillian Anderson, I believe. Oh, uh, X Files. David Duchovny. Yeah, and David, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I, I used to watch some of that. They brought um, that back recently, and I didn't see any of it. Yeah, they're playing reruns, yeah. I think they're making new episodes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, I haven't seen the new episodes. I've seen the reruns, um, watched those a bit. So I enjoyed that. The first yeah. movie I thought was good, first mm-hmm. X-Files movie. Mm-hmm. The second one I didn't see. Yeah, and then I like the Dracula movies. I think Dracula is always going to be my first That's your favorite? <laughs> yes, because they have, there are several Dracula movies. Like uh, there was the one with Gary Oldman, where he played Dracula, and then um, there was another Bram one. Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah. Yes, that one was fantastic. That one's really good. And then there was another one not too, that came out like last year, maybe, or the year before, about Dracula, and um, it talked about how he actually became Dracula. He was fighting for his village and fighting for his family, and that's how he you know, made a deal with someone who was the the previous Dracula and, and he became Dracula and gained the power and that one I enjoyed that. I thought that was really good too. Who would have so. guessed that also <laughs> being an estate planning and a law <laughs> expert, also an expert on vampires and Dracula? I don't know. Blame it on Hammer's House of Horror. <laughs> I guess yeah. Oh, I mean, you grow up with that. I mean, I grew up watching that. That was popular during the time, and those were really good movies at the time. And now I look back on them, and I, they're still fun to watch. So. You know, I enjoyed that. You ever watched the Blade movies? Those are pretty good vampires. Um, I saw the first one. I, I'm not sure if I saw the second one, but I saw the first one with Wesley Snipes. I honestly don't remember if I saw the second movie or not. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, the first the, two were good. All the variations. Well, most, mo- not all, but most of the variations on the Dracula theme. Um, I enjoy those. Don't know why, but I just. That's my f- favorite um, horror character. Well, I promise I'm going to quit grilling you about. Uh, <laughs> Favorite movies okay. and, and, and vampires and <laughs> monsters and all that kind of stuff, and we'll you know move on to more estate planning things. Uh, speaking of the pet trust, yes, 
I wanted to know how do you fund the pet trust? Where does you know where does that come from? That's a good question. Yeah, you do have to if you're going to set up a trust, and this applies to any trust that you set up in your estate planning in your will. You do have to make provisions to fund it. How are you going to fund it? You can fund it from non-probate assets. For example, if you have a life insurance policy, if you have a bank account, you can make the beneficiary of those non-probate assets the trustee of your pet trust. And then um, it doesn't, they don't have to be 100% the trustee. You can make them entitled to receive 25% of the life insurance policy or 25% of whatever's in the bank account. Um, you know, so there's different ways to do it. You can split up those proceeds between different beneficiaries, but you have to set up some kind of way to fund the pet trust. If you have a homestead, you could sell your homestead. If you have real estate or real property, you could sell that and designate a portion of the proceeds from that property to fund the trust. You just have to make sure that you designate some money from some other source that is going to be paid to the trustee of the pet trust. Don't put the pet's name on it. It has to be paid to the trustee of the pet trust because the trustee is going to be the person who actually does the mechanics of setting up the trust and taking control over those funds and then distributing them for the benefit of the pet. So is that a, is that a common mistake what people will make end up making it in the pet's name which is actually Yes. I mean, it would just to clarify, you know, you don't if your pet is named um, Buttons or Jasper or, you know, those were two pet names for my pets when I was young. I had two dogs each named that name. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want to put, you know, Jasper as the beneficiary on my life insurance policy because he's a he's a dog. <laughs> right. And he's not going to be able to accept uh, the funds. <laughs> right. That'd be kind of funny, yeah. Which I'm, Now I'm just picturing a dog going to try to collect his money. Exactly. Like a commercial or yeah. something. So you, you definitely want to make it payable but to the trustee, but that applies, to, again, to all trusts you set up. If you set up a trust for a minor child, you don't want to put the minor child's name as the beneficiary. You want to put the trustee of the trust for, you know, my daughter's name is Alyssa Mitchell, so I would put as the beneficiary, the trustee for the trust of Alyssa Mitchell, not uh, make the money payable to Alyssa Mitchell because she's a minor, and so then you would have to have either some type of conservatorship or guardianship set up to receive those funds for her, and it gets really complicated and really expensive. So when you're setting up your trust and you're trying to fund it, please make sure that you put the trustee's name. And it just, it doesn't have to be the trustee's actual name. Like you wouldn't put Kathy Rue if you made me the trustee. Right. You would just say the trustee for the trust of my, you know, Jasper, who's my pet. Okay. It's, yeah. a, it's a little bit confusing, but you cleared it up for me, so I appreciate that. Uh, you know, we are going to have to go to break here, and now we've got a couple of minutes. So I, I want to know, you've mentioned a lot of different kinds of beneficiaries. What is a remainder beneficiary? Um, the remainder beneficiary is the person who gets the money if the, if the pet dies before the trust ends. So you've passed away. And you've left a pet, and you've left money for your pet. But let's say at the time you passed, your pet was really old, too, because I believe with dog years, 
every one human year is equal to seven dog years. So if you've had a dog for 10 years, then in dog years, the dog is 70 years old. Is it? Yeah. Is that a, <laughs> an, an average age? I think, so. I think that's how it works. And so... Um, you may you may die before your dog, but your dog may die shortly after you and not have used up all of the funding that you've left in the trust for the benefit of your dog. So in those circumstances, what you do is you want to leave a, a person, generally a human being, um, your son, your daughter, your surviving spouse, maybe a, a sibling, um, even your parent, but you would want to name a, an, a, an adult and a person um, to get the remaining distribution of the funds in that trust. So let's say you funded your trust for $10,000, your pet only uses $5,000 worth of that, and then your pet dies. So what happens? The question is, what happens to that $5,000 that's still you know, in the corpus of the trust? Right. It has to be distributed. The trust needs to be terminated because the pet has died. So you have a remainder beneficiary, and that's the adult person who would get, the trustee would distribute that $5,000 to that adult person. And then that you know terminate the trust, and then that wraps everything up and ends it. And and what would happen if say the allocated funds to the trustee weren't adequate, and the dog needed some sort of um, operation or surgery or something like that, and it isn't enough to cover it? That's a good question. Um, generally, you're going to look at other sources for revenue if there's not enough money in the trust. Hopefully, the trustee or the caretaker has done some really good planning and purchased some pet insurance that would help cover those type of costs. And so the the pet trust is just responsible for, let's say, um, the monthly premiums and co-payments. Um, but you're going to have to look to other sources to make up the difference. Family members, maybe some type of charitable um, organization or, um, you know, maybe pro bono work by the vet who's doing the surgery, something of that nature. But it's probably an unlikely scenario. Um, you know, it just it, d it depends on what type of animal you have and what type of care they need. You know, for example, larger dogs suffer with hip dysplasia, and that's something that they suffer with as they, particularly as they age and depending on how active they were um, during their youth. Um, cats suffer generally with kidney diseases and urinary tract infections, particularly as they age. They also suffer with a lot of gastrointestinal disturbances. So there are different conditions that are unique to different animals and different species. And so that needs to be taken into consideration when you're um, planning for your pet, what type of pet you have, what type of long-term care they will need, right. and how will you finance it, just like you do your planning for yourself. Now, I mean, the fact that you're such an animal lover, and I'm a little <laughs> bit surprised that you went and saw a goat get slaughtered. <laughs> oh, we're I back always, to the goat. I always bring, it always comes back to the goat. It, well, you know, the ethics on that is for me is um, you um, eat what you kill. And it's it's not bad. It's not a terrible thing to kill an animal as long as you're killing it Serving for food and yes. sustenance. But to kill it, to mount it, or to kill it for something just for your own gratification or glorification, in my humble opinion, is just me. Doesn't you know? Just my 
<laughs> no, I could, I'm, I'm we're my sole opinion doesn't mean all that much except to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know th- that's wrong. I mean, you know, I that's my ethical boundaries. Uh, you can go hunting. Uh, lots of people go hunting. They kill deer, squirrels, um, birds, um, fish. Uh, trap, you know, seafood and stuff like that. I mean, I, I'm from New Orleans. I grew up there, and Louisiana is considered a hunter's paradise, so there's a lot of hunting that goes on there. But my perspective on that hunting is that those people ate what they killed. They were hunting for sustenance, for food. They would bring home whatever they hunted and cook it and eat it. And as long as you're eating what you're killing, that's fine. That's right. acceptable. Absolutely. But, you know, to eat it, you know, is, is not, I mean, to not, to kill it and not eat it or to kill it, um, let's say, to wear it as opposed to buying clothes. Or a trophy you know, on the wall. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have some concerns about that. That raises ethical issues for me. I would just, I took my shoes. That brings me to another story. I took my shoes to get them repaired at the shoe repair place and saw a pair of boots. And the boots were made out of turtle skin, which is super rare. And, of course, these boots were super expensive, way beyond my budget. And I just, you know, I had some issues with that because... You know why would you take, right? Um, <laughs> why would you take turtle skin and make yes. boots? <laughs> I mean, it's obvious it's that just, those turtles didn't die of old age. Yeah. They were specifically used for something like that. So, so, and you know, on the flip side, I mean, as a child, we grew up eating turtles. You know, snapper turtles were hunted and killed, and you made a uh, turtle soup, or you know, kawe as it's known in New Orleans, which is great eating. But you know, you ate it. So, so that's where I draw the line. I mean, that's just my two cents. What do you? How do you feel, just out of curiosity, about if you hunt for sport, but you still eat what you kill? Is that still on um, the level? Because that's where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's a fine line. It is. It's, it's a, a fine line. Gray area. Um, but again, I think as long as you're eating it, I think the point is um, not to kill in vain. Basically, um, you know, the animals are provided for us to sustain us at some level, and they're part of our ecosystem. Um, so I just think that you need to be um, aware of why you're doing the killing um and you know what part of the what part is it more sport for you or is it more hunting to live right and hunting to eat i think you know there's a a range there and as you get closer to the sporting range you get more into ethical issues um, as you stay more on the uh, i'm hunting to eat range then you're more on the it's okay to kill Right. Um, issue. No, I completely agree. I mean, but that's just my perspective, Kevin. <laughs> no, I, I, I happen to share the same the same exact opinion. But um, I love when we go off on tangents like this, just because it's interesting. I like going back and forth. But if, yeah. as usual, we've gone way over, so we do have to take a break. <laughs> Let's see. There, there's our music. We'll be right back after this. Thanks, everyone. It's the law with Kathy Rue continues next on RNCN.
Dodson Legal Group. I manage the family law, civil litigation, and estate planning divisions of the firm. Five years ago, I ended up joining the practice because I really wanted to get involved with people and help them make the decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. We want to make our clients feel comfortable. We want to make them feel welcome. And we want them to understand that they can trust us with their case. Find us on the web at www.dodsonlegal.com. Give us a call at 469-317-3330. We know it's not easy dealing with a loved one who drinks too much, but there's help and hope at Al-Anon Family Groups. For a meeting near you, call one 888 4 That's 1-888-425-2666. The Center for Animal Research and Education is a nonprofit providing a permanent home to over 50 abused and abandoned big cats in DFW. Come out for a tour and meet our amazing lions, tigers, and leopards. For more information, go to carerescuetexas.com. Be part of the movement that is standing up to cancer and get the new Stand Up to Cancer app for iPhone. Visit the App Store or download by texting STAND to 31826 and tell the world who you stand up for. Message and data rates may apply. She just seemed really depressed. He had an act for beating himself up. She wishes that she was never born. And, and it was intimidating to talk to him sometimes because he just seemed so isolated by himself. She started talking about how she wishes that her life was over. And so I knew he had depression, but I didn't know it was that far. He said something to me about uh, killing himself. Tell somebody, tell an adult, a counselor, parent, whatever. It's a hard situation because you do risk making that person very angry and losing their friendship. What are you going to do? Let them destroy themselves? I I don't see much of a choice at all. It's definitely worth getting help even if you think you're going to lose a friendship because it's better to lose the friendship than the actual friend. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death among teens. For more information, contact the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention at 888-333-AFSP or online at AFSP.org. Broadcasting with the power of attorney, you're tuned in to It's the Law. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. It's Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween to everyone out there. Um, I hope you enjoy today costuming, celebrating Halloween, handing out candy, receiving candy. And just thank you for staying with me um, with my radio show, It's the Law with Kathy Rue. Just would like to give you a little bit of information about myself. I've been practicing law for over 20 years now. I'm licensed in both Louisiana and in Texas to practice law, and I have a solo practice in Grapevine, Texas. I've been practicing there for about 10 years now, and I do all types of civil work. Mostly I do probate, estate planning, guardianship, and elder law, but I also have a general civil practice where I do family law cases such as divorce, child support, custody, I also do IRS tax controversies, landlord-tenant cases, consumer protection cases, and I handle civil cases both at the state and the federal level. So you can reach me at 817-874-8877, or you can visit my website at www.kathyrulaw.com. And if you have a question that you'd like to ask while we're here on the radio show, you can post it to Facebook Live. Give me a like, a blue thumbs up goes a long way. And Kevin, how else can they reach us? They can email us if that's your thing at it's the law with Kathy Rue at gmail.com. That's it's the law with Kathy Rue. 
with two W's at gmail.com. I always want to make sure to include that. <laughs> Great. Okay. So send in your questions. Um, we would love to hear from our listeners and answer their questions if I can. And uh, stay tuned because we've got lots of information still. We want to finish talking a little bit about pet trust. Um, I just wanted to clarify the question that Rocco asked earlier about the caregiver and the trustee and just wanted to let you all know that there can be as many as four people involved when you're setting up a pet trust. For example, you can have the trustee who's the person that receives the money for the the pet trust, um, the money to take care of the pet and oversees the distribution of it and make sure that the money is actually being used for the benefit of the pet. Then you have the caretaker whose job is to, of course, care for the pet on a daily basis. So this is the person who the pet will live with or who will determine where the pet lives and who will take the pet. If it's a dog, they will take them on walks, make sure that they're groomed, bathe, get uh, make sure that they take any medicines they need to take, make sure that they're properly socialized and receive training if they need training, um, just basically attending to all of the pet's needs. Uh, then there's the remainder beneficiary. We talked about that a little bit before break. That's going to be the person who would be designated to receive any funds that are left in the trust should the pet die before those funds are all used. And the fourth person is, of course, the trust enforcer. And again, that's for your checks and balances. And that's going to be the person who's going to oversee the trustee and make sure that the trustee is managing the money properly, managing the trust properly, and is distributing the money so that it does go for the pet's welfare, maintenance, and needs. So the remainder beneficiary is one of the best places to be in in this entire <laughs> process, from what I'm, what I'm gathering. A little bit. I mean, that's assuming that there's going to be money left over. Right. Of course, if all the money for the trust is used, um, then you know the remainder beneficiary doesn't receive any money. Um, and again, it depends on how the trust is funded and how much money is set aside for the trust. You raised an excellent question before the break about what happens if the pet needs surgery and there's not enough money to cover it. And so that's that's part of your planning, as we talked about before, to make sure that you're setting aside enough money um, to care for the remaining years of the pet. And so you may have to consult um, an insurance company for pet insurance policies or an actuary um, to determine you know, what the life expectancy of your pet is to make sure that you're you know, you're providing enough money to right. cover it. Well, can the remainder beneficiary and the trustee be the same person? They could. They could be the same person. Um, generally, they're going to be different people, right. but they could be the same person. There's nothing to prevent them from being the, the same person. However, um, the statute that governs pet trust assumes that the trustee will not, of course, be the caretaker or the enforcer because then you have conflict of um, duty issues. Sure. Because you having them, you know, you can have some self-serving issues going on there and some accountability issues going on there. But... Yes, the trustee could be the remainder beneficiary. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm Good trying question. to avoid making a joke about dog duty just because I'm like <laughs> six years old at, at heart, but um, I, I get what you're saying. Okay, so that's pretty much it, you know, for pet trust. I mean, you, you really need to see an attorney. If you already have your will in place, you can always do a codicil 
to add the pet trust to your estate planning so you don't have to redo your will necessarily. But, you know, you can, if you need to make other changes to your will, you can certainly redo your will and you can add in your pet trust and get legal advice about how best to set that up so it works for your pet. Well, I I think we've covered pretty much everything as far as pets. I mean, I'm I've, you've answered every question that I could come up with, and I think I you think wanted so. to talk some guns. Yeah, and since that's we're talking exciting. about hunting. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And this is Halloween. <laughs> I mean, um, well, you know, we're just about at the end of this segment, so if you want, we could get to uh, get to guns when we get back. Yeah, that'd be fine. All right, you're listening to It's the Law with Kathy Rue. We'll be right back after these words. Providing you her will and testament for good radio. More It's the Law with Kathy Rue coming up next. For America's wounded warriors, coming home can be a battle in itself. The USO provides ways for all of us to support our wounded warriors. Join us. Visit USO.org to learn how you can make a difference in their lives. In recent months, some have lost faith and trust in those who protect us. Frustration has blurred our vision, but we've faced challenges before. Operation Blue Shield is a new movement to help communities have productive conversations directly with law enforcement and first responders to listen and heal. I'm all in. I'm all in. We're all in. Stand united with us at OperationBlueShield.com. This time, it's for all of us. What's happened to America? Operation Blue Shield brings together communities with law enforcement and first responders to listen and heal. Join us at OperationBlueShield.com. This time, it's for all of us. For America's wounded warriors, coming home can be a battle in itself. The USO provides ways for all of us to support our wounded warriors. Join us. Visit USO.org to learn how you can make a difference in their lives. You ignore the signs, so you enable. You don't want to alienate your child, so you enable. But if you think they're trying drugs, you shouldn't be afraid. You're the parent. So you are able. And we can help. So you are able. Get help at drugfree.org. Partnership for a Drug-Free America Texas Alliance. I was leaving an exercise class. All of a sudden, the pain started. My entire chest. Shortness of breath. Very fatigued. Nauseated. Thought that it was nothing much, maybe just stress. You're having a heart attack. I'm healthy. I'm young. There's no way it could be my heart. No way. Heart disease doesn't discriminate. Listen to your body. Go get checked. Heart disease is the number one killer in women. And this is something that we can fight. Visit GoRedForWomen.org to learn a woman's risk for heart disease. I was all geared up for the party where I'd finally meet Kate, my dream girl. But there was no party, all because I got the flu. If only I got a flu vaccine. Sam got one. Sam went to the party, and he's going to another one tonight with Kate, which I'm missing since four days later. I'm still down with aches, chills, and fever. Flu is a serious illness for everyone, even really healthy people. So get vaccinated. Find a location nearby at flu.gov. Brought to you by HHS. One in five children in America go to school hungry every day. I'm Viola Davis. I was one of those children. I was one of the nearly 17 million kids who worry where their next meal will come from. 
Join me with the Safeway Foundation and the Entertainment Industry Foundation to help us end childhood hunger. Help undo hunger for America's children. Go to hungeris.org to learn more. Just one call or one click is all it takes to get the free diabetes information you need. One call, one click. Just call 1-888-693-NDEP or click www.yourdiabetesinfo.org. The National Diabetes Education Program, your source for free diabetes information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. It's never too early to start planning. Kathy can help you. You're tuned in to It's the Law. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this Monday afternoon. It's a great day today. Blue skies, sunny weather, nice temperature. Um, today's Monday, uh, Halloween, October 31st. Happy Halloween to everyone. And I uh, hope you get more treats than you get tricks today. I'm here in the studio with Kevin Ebley. We forgot to turn his mic on. Uh, yeah, I already got tricked by myself once today when I got lost earlier, um, trying to find a convenience store. Um, yeah, just barely made it in time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, so far I haven't had any tricks, but I'm sure. But the day's not over yet. So I'm sure I'll get tricks. I'll get treats, definitely. I know I've got treats waiting for me. I'm looking forward to both. I think, I think it's ironic, too, that the reason I get lost is because of my GPS, the tool that's supposed to be helping me get somewhere. Always I end up missing a step and getting lost. So. I've had that happen to me as well. I, I type in the correct address to where I'm going, and it takes me somewhere totally different. I'm, how did I end up here? This is not where I said I wanted to go. Yep. <laughs> or I, I actually I miss an exit, and my arrival time like jumped ahead by like 15 minutes. I'm like, how could I, that small mistake push me back that far? That's true. That's happened to me, too. <laughs> Uh, also, we got a um, another listener question during the break. Okay, sure. Uh, Patrice asks, uh, "Healthcare costs for aging pets can be astronomical. I'm not sure if it's legal in all 50 states, but I had my attorney add a clause to my divorce agreement to split the cost of healthcare for our pets with my ex-spouse. Is this possible in all states?" Uh, I can't speak on all states. I'm only licensed to practice in Louisiana and Texas. Um, I don't know if it's acceptable in Louisiana. In Texas, I think it's going to be what the parties agree to in terms of their divorce decree. So if the two of you agree to split your expense for the pet insurance and you're signing the divorce decree and you're both aware that you're going to bear those costs, then it would become part of the divorce decree and it would be enforceable um, in court. And um, just out of curiosity, because I'm, I'm a bit of a layman, uh, since you said you're licensed in Texas and Louisiana, does that mean you had to take two different bar exams? No, I was very fortunate. I only took the bar exam for Louisiana, and that was right after I graduated from law school. I sat for the bar exam um, and passed it the first time, so I was very happy and very thankful for that. Uh, when I came to Texas, I applied for admission to the Texas bar, and they accepted my application without requiring me to sit for the bar exam. Oh, wow. So I didn't yeah. have to. So I was I was very happy. Well, it was a, it was good that I didn't have to sit for the exam. I was very happy about that. But I still had to learn Texas law, and I'm of course I'm still learning because the law is constantly changing. It's very fluid, and so um, I. But I enjoy learning, and um, very thankful I didn't have to sit for the Texas bar. And I think it's very difficult. I mean, just because of things that are regulated on a state level, um, for any single attorney to be able to speak for you know all fifty 
states. Yes. Because they're all, I'm sure, very different and very intricate. Yes. And, and one other reason is that I'm glad I didn't have to sit for the Texas bar, at least at that time, was because we had just gotten up here from Hurricane Katrina. So we were up here for less than a year when I applied for my admission to the Texas bar. So it would have been a, an additional stressor, a significant additional stressor, if I had had to actually sit for the bar and take it. Yeah. Um, so I was happy that I didn't have to at that particular time. So, yeah. yeah, that worked out well for me, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Oh, well, and congratulations. Thank you. That you. speaks to, uh, <laughs> to your good work. Thank you. Thank you. So, but I'm still practicing law, and I'm constantly learning new law, doing research, um, staying up on case law, staying up on statutory changes. So it's all good. Well, I'm, I'm ready to hear about some guns. Oh, yeah. Um, so to end <laughs> our segment, yeah. <laughs> because we were talking earlier about hunting and the ethics of hunting, we also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about gun trust. Um, there's different types of trust that you can set up in your will. You can set up a special needs trust if you have someone who's disabled, an adult who's disabled. You can set up contingent trust for your adult children. You can set up trust for your minor children. You can set up pet trust for your trust. We've talked a, a bit about that today. Uh, one other type of trust is a gun trust that you can set up for any guns that you own. And of course, you know, what is a trust? Well, a trust is a written agreement that allows the trustee to hold assets. Um, it could be money. It could be, in this case, an actual gun on behalf of one or more beneficiaries. So the person who creates the trust is the settler. We talked about Kevin being the settler of his gun trust, or yep. his, his pet trust earlier. Yep. Now he's setting up a gun trust. Never had a gun either, <laughs> but uh, I'd say it's more likely I'd have a, I'll, I'll, with a gun in my future than a pet. Yeah, in this particular situation, the gun trust would not be a part of your um, will. It would be a revocable living trust, and um, it would be a separate legal entity. And after the trust is created, then the settler transfers the ownership of the assets from the settler's name to the trust. So if you own any guns and you set up a gun trust, instead of the trust being titled to Kevin Ebling, uh, the trust would be titled to the revocable living trust of Kevin Ebling. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is just one of those things that before I met you and we started working on this show together, had no idea that there was such a thing as gun trust. Yes, there are. And, um, you know, people can use them for different reasons. One reason is, is one reason is to protect their privacy. Some people have gun collections and they don't want everyone to know uh, what's in their estate or what guns that they have. Right. So um, the trust is not filed with any city, county, or state government or entity. Um, your trust in your name don't show up in a government database um, other than it'll show up on the tax rolls of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Um, the other advantage of having a gun trust is it helps to protect your assets after your death. The firearms will be a part of your probate um, estate, and probate proceedings are public. So if you set up a trust, the, tr the guns are titled to the trust, and that keeps your firearms outside of the probate process. It keeps your ownership of them from being public. It keeps it private. So, again, it goes back to protecting your privacy. Oh, I was just going to ask. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're uh, fine. Just, uh, if you, just uh, when, when they, with this, when involving these trusts, before you can actually in, have it enforce it, do they make sure, like, are you re required to provide 
proof that all of these guns are registered to you. You know, I know that that's an issue. Well, it is. And a gun trust is a special type of trust. Um, it's a lot more um, specialized than, of course, a pet trust or a trust for an individual. It's designed to address issues that are unique to firearms. And firearms, of, of course, are one of the most heavily regulated types of personal property in the United States. And there's different types of firearms. With a trust, you're talking about uh, trusts that are set up uh, according to the National Firearms Act, and those are Title II uh, weapons. And so examples of those types of firearms would be uh, fully automatic weapons, machine guns, um, shot, short-barreled rifles, also known as... I believe sawed-off shotguns, right. uh, sound suppressors, mufflers, and si silencers. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you also have other types of firearms, firearms that are not regulated by the NFA or the National Firearms Act, but that are regulated by the Gun Control Act of 1968 and other federal laws, and those are known as Title I weapons and are commonly referred to as non-NFA firearms or regular firearms. So um, there are two ways you can acquire the NFA firearms uh, by transfer after approval by the ATF of a registered NFA firearm from its lawful owner residing in the same state as the transferee. So you would have to complete the ATF form four or um, by obtaining prior approval from the ATF. And to do that, you would complete an ATF form one. So those wow, it's that's, that's a lot of work for it, for gun trust. Well, yeah, you have to because you because they're they're federally regulated, and so you have to do the paperwork to transfer the title and you know make sure that title is uh, done properly. And then when you want to transfer your ownership into the trust, you set up your trust and you transfer the the title um, to your trust. But you know the big question is, well, what does a gun trust do for me? Most gun trusts are highly customized and they address the rights and duties of the parties uh, to the gun trust relating to the use of the guns, possession of the guns, and transfer of the firearms. And um, because they pass privately to the beneficiaries outside of the probate process, many people also assign their non-NFA firearms to their gun trust. So basically it, it governs the use, possession, and transfer of the guns, which is a good thing because you want to make sure your guns are going to the right people and that they're staying in the, the right hands and that they're not just hanging around or Absolutely. laying around. Yeah, <laughs> fall into the wrong hands. Yes. All so. right, well. Is that the end of the show? That's the end of the show. That's the end of the show. Everybody be safe. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Have a great Halloween. Enjoy it. Uh, spend time with your kids if you can. Dress up. Have fun. Do tricks. Do treats. All that good stuff. And stay tuned for the next It's the Law with Kathy Rue.